Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, and dedicated to silencing the chatter about what women should and shouldn't be doing as they age. Here to bring you stories about women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, women who are leading inspiring lives that make a difference to themselves and others, are Catherine Marino and Gail Zalitsky. Hi, I'm Catherine. And I'm Gail. We are the active voice of Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Welcome to our weekly podcast. Our mission is to showcase vital women between the ages of 70 to 100 plus who share shatter the myth that we become irrelevant as we age. These women lead fulfilling lives for themselves and others. Visit our website, womenover70.com, where you can access all the episodes. We also invite you to join our monthly podcast club. And we welcome speaking to your organization or group on Aging Reimagined. If women aging is a market you would like to reach, consider sponsoring an episode. Finally, if you are an author with a book about women, check out our book promotion opportunity. And today, we're really pleased to be talking with Meg Fournay, age 73. Meg is commissioner at large with the Minneapolis Park and Recreation Board and will run for re-election for a third term in November 2021. Meg is the oldest of any elected position in the city of Minneapolis. That includes the mayor and council members. Her civic-mindedness and commitment to feminist ideals were influenced by two strong role models, her mother and her great aunt. Meg's passion for the parks reflects her belief that, I quote, parks raise the quality of life for everyone. When she's not rowing, biking, and walking miles in the city, Meg is likely to be traveling with her husband of 20 years. Her curiosity about the world has led to travel to all the continents, and she's not done yet. There's nothing old about me, declares Meg, who aspires to ageless living. And Meg was referred to us by my sister, Karen Marino, another rowing enthusiast. So welcome, Meg, to Women Over 70. We're delighted to have you with us. It's an honor. Thank you. So let's begin. You said that, mentioned to me that your mother and your great aunt were strong role models for, you said, leading in a civic way. Can you tell us about uh, how they influenced your path? Um, just by example, I think is probably the best way to, to indicate. Um, my mother was, um, in fact, I was figuring it out the other day. I think the last board of directors that she served on, she was in her late 70s. It was just a way of life for her. Um, I've mentioned often that um, if she were, let's say, in our era, she probably would have been a CEO of a major um, corporation. So wow. she was um, um, just naturally a leader. And so I was very fortunate that um, just by watching, you know, by example. Mm-hmm. So tell us what you were an interior designer, maybe you still are, and a realtor. So what prompted you to seek a position on the Minneapolis Park and Recreation Board? Um, actually, never really an interior designer, but um, I call it a, a space um, planner was probably oh. the better way of calling it, but that's side the point. Um, I um, was activated um, when I purchased my first home and um, within nine months of purchasing it, 
13 elms were taken down off of my boulevard. And that is what catapulted me into um, my um, role in uh, our parks. Um, I've always been interested in Mother Nature. Once uh, again, it, it was an influence from my mother um, who would take us, uh, I spare, every spring uh, to Eloise Butler Wildflower Garden. That mm -hmm. was her love. So it, it's a natural um, offshoot for me. But um, fortunate at that point, um, a shade tree uh, committee was just developing in my neighborhood. So I uh, got involved in uh, neighborhood organization and that just started flowing to um, all of my involvement throughout um, uh, over 40 years of um, park related um, because I, I often say to people that we happen to be um, have a city inside of a park. Uh, Minneapolis is very, very unique in that way. And um, it was that activism that somebody asked me, I can't remember how many years ago, um, actually was a, a commissioner at that time that I should run. And I looked at her and I think it's a typical female response. Me? Huh? What? Mm -hmm. And I you know, just kind of poo-hooed it and everything. And after a few other people had asked me through time, I just said, why not? So um, I'm honored and uh, privileged um, to be serving in um, the Trust for Public Land refers to us as the number one park system. And it's all data driven because we are um, we're within a 10 minute walk shed um, of 90, I think it's up to 96% of every resident in the city. Um, it, that type of data is what has determined us as number one. It's not a popularity contest. It is driven by matrix. So there so are 96 close to, there are parks close to all of these residents everywhere? Correct. Is that what you're saying? Yep. yep. Mm -hmm. uh, so every resident, like I say, is within a 10 minute walk of um, a park. Um, so, and in my short term, I believe it's gone from 94% to either it's 96 or 97% that we're at now. So, um, yeah, it's pretty exciting. Very that's exciting. That's, that's sure. really amazing. So, Meg, I, I was a little confused at first about the difference between being on the park, part of the park district, but you are on the Minneapolis Park and Recreation Board. So can you describe that to us and what is what's involved in being a commissioner at large? Um, well, Commissioner at Large, number one, I represent um, everyone in the city. Um, there are three um, at large commissioners. Um, there are then six district commissioners. So we have six districts in the city. Um, and as I indicated, um, well, <laughs> it, well, what better way to put it? Um, we have 15% of the land in the city of Minneapolis. And we are just very fortunate that really, um, it's not about me, it's about, um, they were unfortunately, or fortunately, whatever, uh, the forefathers of the city that had the vision to put aside um, these lands uh, and water bodies um, for everyone to enjoy. And I am a steward of that and continue to um, hold that legacy and, um, 
So the things that I work on today, um, probably my biggest passion happens to be the riverfront. Um, I'm not sure if it, most people are aware that there really was very little um, access to the river in the central corridor. And we basically, that was our sewage system. We turned our backs to the river. And, um, and about 40 years ago, um, we started taking back um, the shores of the Mississippi. And now there is public um, uh, trails along the sides of them. And we are now moving forward uh, north of uh, the St. Anthony Falls. By the way, the Mississippi is the longest river, um, I believe, in the world. And um, <laughs> every kid uh, in the world probably knows the song, M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I. Uh, so it's very iconic. And we have the only falls on the entire uh, Mississippi. But we're continuing those um, public um, accessible pathways along both sides of the river going north of downtown Minneapolis. And to me, that's an equity um, situation that the north and northeast um, Minneapolis um, have the least access to any of our public you know, amenities. And to me, this is so natural for them to be able to have access to this mighty river. So um, Meg, many of our listeners live in other parts of the country, even other parts of the world. So can you tell us a little bit more about the significance of public access for the North and Northeast corridors? What, what is it about those neighborhoods that? Um, we have what's called the chain of lakes and the chain of lakes are in um, the Southwest portion of Minneapolis. Then we have a Creek uh, called the Minnehaha with a, a lovely waterfalls at the end of it. So that's basically the South Minneapolis. So North and Northeast don't have any of these amenities. And so therefore they haven't had access and that's what where our, our present access is the most limited. And so the Mississippi, as I indicated, um, is this phenomenal amenity that is no longer our sewage pipeline. Mm -hmm. um, and so by having trails adjacent to the river, it will mean that these uh, residents um, who have been so horribly um, underserved all these years and everything will have access to um, this amenity. Um, I mean, Nature to me is, um, well, uh, in COVID, I think it's been intriguing to see that um, something like, um, well, our downtowns are losing their need. Um, our public transportation is losing their need. But what has happened during COVID is we found how essential our parks are and how grounding they've been, they were a source of um, sanity <laughs> they've been for everybody. and. Um, so uh, as I indicated, the park system is 138 years old. We are an independent um, park um, entity, public entity. We do have taxing authority. Um, and that is very, very unusual in the United States. Currently, it is more common in Europe. But in the United States, we're very unique. And so instead of us just being merely a department within the city, we are... Um, um, our own independent entity and, and therefore um, as a park commissioner I am elected or commissioners are elected every four years mm -hmm. and it is our um, oath of office to as I say be stewards of um, our park system. So Meg you mentioned that your your current um, mission is to make 
the um, building trails adjacent to the river for the north and northeast part of the city. What other what other uh, things I, um, initiatives have you been involved in that you're especially proud of, proud of? Oh, that's a very good question. Probably the biggest one that was major is that we were able to um, uh, make an ordinance where we are bringing capital dollars into all of our uh, neighborhood recreation centers, with, which have been horribly neglected. There was a great deal of building of these recreation centers in the 60s and 70s, and they really haven't been attended to. So we were able to put forth a 20-year uh, neighborhood park plan, and um, $10.5 million will be allocated every year for uh, those capital improvements. Um, I was one of the three lead commissioners in making that happen. It was a, a cooperative agreement that happened with the city of Minneapolis and um, the park board. Um, and oftentimes there isn't a great deal of collaboration between uh, different governmental entities. We were able to make that happen because they could see the vision of why that was so essential. And what we did is we um, are going to roll out those dollars using a racial equity matrix um, to measure um, how, instead of, you know, just whatever the biggest and fattest uh, park getting it, it's going mm -hmm. to be, you know, based upon um, where communities have been underserved. So they're, they're the first priority? Correct. And well, and as well as need. I mean, you know, if you've got mm -hmm. a hole in the roof, that's a need. So it's it's taking both of those um, uh, measurements um, that we determine then where the monies then will be um, spent initially. Right. And so is this initiative just starting? Um, we are now in our, are we in our third year or fourth year? Okay. Right. Yeah. And it's a 20-year plan, like I say. Mm -hmm. Meg, is there uh, is there a uh, a metric that the board uses to determine how many of the how much of the population uses the parks? Is there a measurement? Uh -huh. Yes, um, actually, there. I don't know if it happened last year, of course, with COVID, but. Um, we do uh, get receive money from the Metropolitan Council and they measure how many people are utilizing our parks. And that is what helps in determining how much funding we get. Mm -hmm. And so um, the south end actually of um, the David McCosco, which used to be known as um, Lake Calhoun, um, is the most um, trafficked, <laughs> I'm not sure if that's the right word, um, spot in our entire park system. Mm -hmm. And I believe that it's like the second or the third most um, um, attended or populated or trafficked in the state of Minnesota. Mm -hmm. What is it called now? I only know it as Lake Calhoun. Bidet Makaska. Oh. Bidet means lake. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Basically, it's the Dakota language. Um, and um, it was changed oh, probably four years ago, I believe it was. Um, for a number of reasons. Uh, first of all, um, the um, the prior name um, politically and racially uh, charged, I guess, mm -hmm. probably as we to say. Interesting. Mm. Thank you. Interesting. Gail, did you want to? No, go ahead. Okay. Um, I wanted to move a little bit to when you and I talked, Meg, before today, you, you identify as a strong feminist. And I'm curious about what that means to you. Um, 
I think, as I indicated, you know, I had a very strong role model in my mother. And um, so I, I feel I came by it naturally. Um, this this um, feeling empowered um, as a woman. Um, it, it never was really, um, shall I say, questioned. Um, I was very fortunate being raised during the feminist movement. Uh, my former husband and I actually, we would say that we courted on the isms, uh, racism, um, sexism. And um, so it's, it's been, yes, a passion of mine. Um, something that I guess I just never have questioned. And I feel very fortunate that um, I was able to do as many things as I have done. Um, I happen to be a realtor and um, that is a profession that was probably most dominated by women. So uh, it's not something that, um, um, like I say, that I really second guessed um, my competency to be able to do things. But I feel very fortunate that we've been of an era um, where um, um, we could be all that we, um, our talents and abilities um, have been able to um, afford us. I have a question. I, I noticed on your website that you talk about intergenerational centers for the parks. Could you elaborate on that a little bit? Certainly. Um, uh, first of all, I should uh, you should know that the um, senior population, which um, apparently the World Health Organization is changing what that bracket is, um, what seniors really uh, qualify as. Um, apparently middle age is now between 66 and 79 years old. <laughs> um, it, anyway, um, but that is probably the largest uh, growing population um, coming forward. And so how do we um, uh, provide programming, provide facilities for um, that emerging population? But at the same time, um, our youth uh, population is also growing and um, will obviously then continue to grow or to continue to move through the brackets of aging. And so what we have been working on is how can there be this cross-pollination of programming involving youth and seniors and how they can be um, um, supportive of each other, I guess, is a way of putting it. Um, one of the things, this is a, in some ways a trivial way of saying it, but um, I have been a great advocate of what I refer to as ageless sports, um, bocce ball, uh, croquet, um, play, uh, tennis courts are all um, ageless sports. Some people could say they're low impact sports, but really they, these are sports that can be easily taken up when you are young and they are life sports or something that you can be doing for, you know, uh, into your twilight years. And uh, so we have added more of those types of amenities in the park system. And um, so that's just one example of things that um, intergenerational could be doing more with each other and um, be shared support for each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very interesting. Oh, yeah, I love that idea. Important. Uh -huh. So Meg, um, in my introduction of you, I noted that you are, um, you're you're athletic. You you are involved in rowing and biking and walking and uh, uh, traveling. Tell us about those passions of yours. Oh, thank you. Um, yes, I'm real fortunate. I can't say that I, I would ever call myself an athlete, but um, 
I am very active and uh, it, it has been through physical um, exercise. Um, I have several walk uh, groups that um, walk around our beautiful parks. And um, to me, it's the camaraderie that is just a, a huge bonus. Um, I, I feel very fortunate that I have been uh, physically, I'm um, all there. <laughs> and, um, in, and also I should say that my mother was always physically there, never having any, any particularly health issues. So I'm knock on wood or wherever we want to knock. Um, I have had that, but, um, yes, so I'm a rower, I'm a biker. I'm a, I, well, used to be, uh, I did triathlons. Um, so, you know, I played um, soccer when I was uh, young, uh, before um, <laughs> women's sports, you know, or girls sports were um, um, funded and um, just been very fortunate to also be very active. Uh, my mother um, always bragged about the fact that I learned how to swim before I learned how to walk. So it's um, something that's just been a part of my life. Um, as far as competitive sports, I wouldn't say that that's been something that I've done. Mm -hmm. um, and then also, once again, coming back to, to parents, um, they were real believers in travel. Uh, we did a great deal of domestic travel when we were young. Um, and then um, uh, I noticed I have two older brothers that each one of them were going somewhere after they graduated from college um, Europe. And I started eyeing that when I was, I think it was a freshman in college and, um, that I was going to go something great. I was going to go to, um, the Sorbonne. And, um, that happened to be about the time when the campus riots started. And so my parents started looking for a wonderful alternative and I sailed on a ship, um, for, um, uh, an academic year uh, was called Chapman College World Campus Afloat, and that is what planted the seed for me to realize that probably the best educator is travel, uh, to see other cultures, to um, really, you bring it back home and, and, and see your own society, see your own culture um, in that lens, and uh, I, I my mother and I gave to each one of our um, grandkids um, uh, a trip to any place um, in the world when they graduated from college and when they graduated from high school, we took them someplace in the United States because we knew that that was something that continues your, your education, continues, you know, um, deepening your understanding of where you are in this world. So I was very, very fortunate and consequently continued that after, uh, of course, I was in college. And as you indicated in the beginning, I've been very lucky to be on all seven continents and um, um, counting every country that I'm lucky and fortunate to be able to, to visit. Are there, are there parts of the world that you would like to return to? given that you've been to all seven continents? Oh, yes and no. I have such powerfully good memories of so many of these places that in some ways I don't want to go back mm -hmm. because they were so powerful. Um, and there's just so much to see, uh, more to see, that it's not, um, it's not a lingering need for me to, to, to return again. Um, you know, you 
I think I only know one other person who was able to do the campus afloat, and that's a, a relatively young person now. So that I think I'm just green with envy that you sailed on a ship for a year. It was utterly amazing. It really was. And, um, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, whatever, I was a junior in college and, you know, didn't realize that this is unique. This is different. You know, doesn't everybody get to do this? So like, I happen to be an art history major and it's like, well, you know what? We're studying Michelangelo. Yeah. Why don't we go to the Sistine Trap Chapel? <laughs> doesn't everybody get to do that? Anyway, I was very, very, very lucky. And it, it, it is, I think, really what changed my life. It was the most life-changing um, event because it did put into perspective um like i say coming back home very you look at things so differently you really do mm -hmm. and how do you with all your responsibilities find time for rowing and biking and walking <laughs> how do you fit all that in you know that's not something that i really think about um i can't remember who yeah, a good friend of ours and everything calls me the blonde whirlwind. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's not something you think about personally and everything, but apparently I have a lot more energy than most people. <laughs> so I'm, I feel very, very uh, lucky uh, regarding that. Um, and I don't know, maybe my mother taught me some good management skills <laughs> out of management. Um, but um, yeah, I'm, I feel really fortunate and, um, that I can be doing it. I am still um, working in real estate, but I'm partnering with um, a wonderful woman. Um, the staff of our um, park system is just so incredible. And um, so they make things, of course, a lot easier for me. Um, and then I just have a really powerful uh, constituency that um, are passionate about our parks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's really neat. Do you use the term ageless? living and i think you've already, you've been sort of describing what that means to you all along in our conversation but let, just say a little bit more about ageless living what that means to you oh wow well <laughs> i'm not sure i can totally describe it but to me um age is just a number and um Maybe it is because physically I have been fortunate to be very healthy, um, but uh, being open, oh, this may be a good example. Um, I don't have any children um, of our, my own, um, but I've been a, a wonderful, I think, aunt. And my um, uh, one of my nephews actually said that I never treated, I always treated them as an equal. And I guess that's, you know, maybe that's the difference of my perspective of being able to um, view people equally. And um, so therefore not bound by uh, the, 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 this category of age, um, you know, it, why should that be a determiner um, of who we are? <laughs> mm -hmm. Nicely, nicely said. I know you have an interest in water quality. Is that above and beyond the the uh, river and and that those systems, or is there something more to that? 
Um, water quality certainly is, is something that I'm very actively interested in. And thank you for asking the question because I'm very excited that um, we are starting on a initiative um, which is to address climate change. And so it is a climate resiliency um, and how, how we, the park system, can be a lead in, um, um, I mean, our trees um, are, are capture, you know, more carbon and, and we need that tree canopy. And in an urban setting, how important it is. Um, our trees capture, you know, water so that there's not runoff that, you know, pollutes, you know, our, our lakes and our rivers. Um, so how critical it is to um, address climate change can be, um, we, the park system, can be the lead in um, addressing it. And um, so I'm, I'm very hopeful that within the next year, we're going to be able to um, really um, address it uh, financially and, you know, with uh, programmatically. Um, and so it's not just water quality, it's, you know, air quality. I mean, um, North Minneapolis, which I spoke of earlier, where we are adding the park system and everything, probably has some of the highest health disparities. And it's because of air quality, water quality. It's because of heat islands. All of those types of things are things that the park system can be such uh, a critical role uh, or play a critical role in um, in mitigating um, uh, those issues. So um, I, I'm one of the lead commissioners on doing that um, for um, our park system. And um, we, um, I believe it was last week, <laughs> we voted to, to um, start moving on that, um, uh, activating that initiative. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you asked that, Gail. This is, it's what you're involved in, Meg, is so exciting and absolutely necessary, of course. It's really fascinating to hear about, about this and your life overall. Um, so, uh, my goodness, our time's up. And I want to thank you so much for talking with us today and bringing us into the world of parks and water and all things having to do with nature. Appreciate yes. it very much. Yes, thank you so much, Meg. So listeners, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Become an active participant in our community through our Facebook group. And no matter your age, participate in our monthly Zoom gatherings. You'll find everything you need to know about our Women Over 70 community on womenover70.com. See you next Wednesday on Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Thank you for listening to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. If you like what you've heard today, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. In what ways are you shattering the myth that women over 70 are no longer relevant or visible? How are you celebrating aging? Join with us. Make your voice heard. Find us at womenover70.com.